Hey, I love my family. Our family. If you're brand new with us, we're like this all the time. Uh, I, I believe as a Christian, really, you should have fun in church. Uh, you should leave convicted. Like if you're in sin, I'm going to tell you, knock it off. Like it's only bad for you. Uh, but I think as a church, as a, as a family, you need to have fun, man. It's, it's, there's enough garbage going on in our world that I think church should be a place of joy. And I, I think your kids should have fun when they leave. Uh, they should want to come back. And hopefully you'll want to come back as well. Uh, but we also need to leave challenged, right? And I think we do a pretty good job as a mixture here. So, hey, I got some good news. Uh, we are beginning uh, tomorrow. They're starting to dig dirt um, in the parking lot for our... Yeah, we can do that. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that's a lot, lot of years in the making. Uh, but, but tomorrow they're going to begin the parking lot out there so that when they start the foundation, we'll have a place to park. Um, everybody say the word inconvenient. inconvenient. Say late to church. That's what it's going to be if you're late to church. You're going to have to park in the inconvenient parking lot. So um, we know how to get you here early so you can park on asphalt, but um, it's going to be a great thing. I'm excited about it. And so let's get into the message again. If you're here with us for the first time, um, it's a little bit different Sunday. Uh, if you've been here, you know that uh, Pastor Chase and Hannah are, uh, this is their last Sunday. They'll be here Wednesday, but they're going to go help Pastor John with the church in Boise. Uh, Pastor John was our, our former worship leader who took a church a couple years ago um, and is needing help. But the church actually has doubled since he's been there, uh, but he's still like the only staff member. So Pastor Chase, who was his mentor for about 12 years, um, actually probably mentored two years and then but he's, he's been here 12 years. Uh, they're going to go help them. And so uh, Pastor Jason is actually going to finish up the message. We're going to kind of tag team it today. Uh, but I don't want you just to turn your ears off and go, oh, it's not about me because it is about you. It is about you. We're, we are talking today about the plan, the purpose, and the positioning. And uh, if you didn't know this or weren't made aware of it, the life is all about seasons. Like we have seasons in life where we have seasons that are great, seasons that aren't so great. Um, Idaho this year... In the 32 years we've been here was the first year I can remember we went from hot to cold almost overnight. Like one of the things I love about Idaho is you get the different seasons, but this one was like drastic. And sometimes in life, you don't get to just ease into it. Sometimes it's a shocker where you know, you're hot one day and the next day it's freezing. And I'm going to say Pastor Stevie is the cause of that. Because when it was hot, he said, I just want winter to hit. And God said, okay, you're a man of God, so I'll answer your prayer. Boom, there it is. Um, and so and that's how it seemed to happen this year. So sometimes our, our seasons are drastic. Other times God allows us to ease into things. Um, I'm going to start out with the verse that we use quite often in our church, and that is Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 36a. And it's this. It says, for when David served his purpose, is that what it says? It should be on the screen, right? Who's, whose purpose was it? I underline God's. When David served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. And, and I want that to be written about each one of us, that, that when we go, that, that God would say of us, you finish the purpose that I put you on this earth for. Uh, again, it doesn't matter how you started. It, it matters how you choose to finish. Like you might have had a rough beginning of life, but you're going to choose to finish strong. And that's really what God asks of us. Um, if you're into any type of racing, it really doesn't matter how you start. It's whether you make it to the finish line or not. Because you can have a great start and a horrible finish. You can have a horrible start and you can have a great finish. And that's what God wants for us. So in order to succeed in life, you have to believe that you have a purpose. You have to believe that. Like God made me for a reason. Uh, many people question like, okay, what is my purpose? Why am I on this earth? And the last thing I want you to do 
um, besides go to hell, okay, because that would be the last thing I want you to do, but it is to die or to get to the end of your life saying, what was my life? What was the meaning? What was the purpose? What was the point? I, I didn't really accomplish anything great. Um, and I will tell you this, when, when you live for yourself, you will not accomplish anything great. But when you get up every day and you say, God, I believe that you have a purpose for me. I'm not sure what that is, but show me today because I'm willing to be used. I'm willing to be used. I want to, I want to live the purpose that you put me on this earth. So there's a reason you exist. Um, and when you believe that, you will get up with, with some intentional living. Like in the morning, you're like, okay, this, this is the day that God has made. Some days you get up and you're supposed to rest. How many of y'all are good at that? Yeah, a few of us are not very good at that. Most of us are probably not good at that. Um, here's, a, here's a question I didn't ask for a service, but I'm going to say they answered yes because of, of it was a little lethargic. Like I would say, and how many of y'all been going 100 miles an hour, it seems like? Some of you are like, <laughs> I lift my hand up. It feels like life has like been really busy lately for most people. And so I have grace for those in the first services that, that people are just tired. Like went through Thanksgiving, we ate too much turkey and everybody's still kind of on the, the turkey. You know, I'm, I'm just tired. Just, just let me rest. I'm going to listen to what you say, preacher. I'm not going to be that involved because I'm exhausted. And so we have mercy for that. We have seasons in life. But I believe that God has put in every single person a desire to make a difference, a desire to matter, a desire to, to be significant in one way. Now, the devil can also take that desire and turn it bad, okay? If you become a gangbanger, okay, there, there's, a, there's a desire to, to make a name for yourself or to be a part of something bigger than you, but that's bad. But we do have a desire to make a difference, I believe, in the lives of other people. An example, even the most hardened criminal would probably stop and pull an infant out of the road. Like just a, a car, they, they would go, I need to get that baby out of the road, right? Unless they're getting pursued by the police and they might keep driving. But <laughs> the intention was funny, but that just didn't hit, right? Uh, all right. And, and, but we know that. Like people have this thing to go, oh, there's a, a child in danger. Most people would stop and get the child out of danger. Again, the desire gets twisted for sure. The devil can use this for selfish reasons. Um, instead of serving God, go ahead and serve yourself. That's kind of what the devil's whole, whole motive is. Uh, but in order for me to fulfill my purpose in life, I have to be in the right places or the right positions. And so in your life right now, how, the, how I want this to apply to you is you may wonder, why am I here? Why am I in Cuna, Idaho? Why, I'm in, why am I in Idaho? Most of you that have moved from Idaho, you know why you're here. Because you didn't like where you lived. Yeah. right? Yeah, or God moved you. There was a job position or something. Some people move here and they're not really sure what. But I will tell you that God has a purpose and a plan for you being here. And if this is to be your church family, God has a place and a position for you here as well. Um, if this is not to be your church family... I would suggest go to find a different church family. Because every church family might have one or two troublemakers, all right? And we try to stay away from that. So, all right, to my knowledge, there's none now, but if there becomes one, we'll name you. <laughs> Put it out there. No. <laughs> Paul, Apostle Paul did. He like he called out these two ladies. It's one of the funniest stories. He like, he names them and they get put in the Bible. Like he, these two women, he's like, you guys are fighting. You need to knock it off. And you know, he, and he names them. How embarrassing would that be to get your name in the Bible? Because when you get to heaven, like I said last week, you're going to recognize people and you're going to be like, oh, you are the one that got named by the apostle Paul. And it's going to be like, I can't believe he put my name in there. There's certain ways you want your name in the Bible. There's certain ways you don't. All right. 
But in order for me again to fulfill my purpose in life, I have to be in the right place, in the right position. And God has you, I'm going to say, right where he wants you. Like even if you're disobedient and you're running from God, God can use that to bring you to him. Like I said, some of you have found Jesus in prison. You're like, well, that was a, no, God had you in that place to get you to listen. Like there's just a, a, there's a place that God has us. We have to believe that. Jeremiah 29, 11. Okay, this is a very famous verse. It's a verse that we put, you know, up on plaques. It's actually in the men's bathroom. You go to Hobby Lobby, you'll see this. All right, and it's Jeremiah 29, 11. What's it say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. This is a great verse. We love this verse. This is like, yeah, go get him. No harm, you know, prosper. We, we think we know what that looks like. The pastor Stevie preached a couple weeks or about a month ago on, on the context. We love the verse, but the context of this verse was that Israel was in slavery at this point. There was a 70-year period where they were, um, they were in slavery. And so this verse pops up in the middle of their slavery. Sometimes God's plan for you happens in a position that you don't like. You're in a place in life, you're like, this stinks, this is no good. How could God have a great purpose and a great plan when I am in slavery? Well, some of you were bound, you were addicted to things, and God set you free from that. Amen. So God can even use those positions to get his plan uh, across to, to your life, or get across to you in your life. So again, we love the verse, but sometimes God's plan takes being in a place that you don't like. And sometimes God's plan takes place in a place that you do like, and God says to move, and you're like, but I'm comfortable here. And God says, that's why I'm having you move. Right. Right? There's, there's, a, there's times that we're comfortable, we get comfortable. Uh, but all of us go through seasons and places of growth. And when I thought about this, what was my you know, favorite year of school in all the, the grade school, high school, college? My favorite, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite class was kindergarten. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Man, kindergarten was, was good. You get on the bus, you get, you get there, you get a snack, you get a story, you get a nap. There's no homework. You go home at noon, you get another snack from mom. Like you're, like kindergarten is the best. There was no homework, there was no challenge. There was, there, there was scissors. There was scissors. And... I found a different purpose for scissors than the intention of the teacher. And so I want to just run just a quick, brief life. Okay, that's me on the right. You can tell because I'm a little cuter than the other guy. Now, cute doesn't mean better looking. <laughs> All right, so that's me. That's my older brother. Um, he's got, there's a band uh, back in the like 60s. Is it the Monkees? Is it the monkeys? I think that's what my mom cut our hair. That was pretty good. It was the old stick the bowl on top and cut around the bowl. Although my mom was better than that. All right. Uh, so next picture. I got a little better. Look at me. I'm growing. Like, how can you resist those eyes? Now you know why my wife married me. I just, I'm just there. And it, it, I mean, that, you know, good haircut. And then kindergarten happened. Um, <laughs> Yeah. My mom is here today. She could probably tell you the day that this happened and, and the traumatic. When you cut your own hair like the day or two before school pictures. Um, and, and I remember this. I remember vividly sitting there cutting my hair. And I didn't just cut mine. 
There was that cute girl that's sitting next to me. I got hers too, but not that bad. But I did cut a lock from her hair and somebody asked me, do you still have that? I was like, no, that's weird, that's creepy. Um, I do still have my hair though. The teacher taped it to a letter and sent it home. Dear Mrs. Johnson, I had to talk to Stanley today that scissors were not made for cutting hair, but for paper. I'm so sorry. I still have it in my baby book. Um, it was the only bad thing I did in my childhood. Um, but, so fast forward to second grade. Next picture. I, that was a year later. I matured that much, right? Yeah, just, no, no, this is Bible college, all right? This is 30-some years later. I didn't cut my hair before pictures on this one because I grew up and I learned a little bit. I learned what not to do. But I don't have the time to tell you 30 years of growth. You don't go from kindergarten to college graduate in a matter of days or hours or actually even years. It's a process, right? And so as we go through life, we should learn from our mistakes. We should learn. Now, when my daughter was 12, Alexis, who is now a hairdresser, I allowed her to actually cut my hair when she was little. Like I let her practice on me. Okay, If you could bring up the kindergarten picture, that's about what it would look like again. But I let her do it and, and I let her cut my hair and it was, it was sketchy at best. But now she is a professional. Now she does a great job. She does my hair for me. She does a lot of, a lot of your ladies' hair. Uh, and, and again, there's a process. So I think you owe me a thank you for allowing her to practice on me so she didn't destroy yours. You're thank you. Yeah, you're welcome that I was, I was the guinea pig for that. You see, maturity only comes with the next grade. And what I'm really trying to say is that life is full of seasons. It really is. It's full of seasons, full of mistakes. It's full of learning. It's, it's full of a, of a pain at times. But God's goal for us is to maturity. And, and I've told you this many times, and I'll say it again. But to grab a hold of what's next, you have to look, let go of what is. You have to learn how to let go um, or, or what was, okay? What is or what you could put either way there. But to grab a hold of what's next, you have to let go of what was. And that is really what transition is all about. You got to learn to let go to grab a hold of what's next. Now, for those of you who dwell on your failures, I would say this. Don't get so focused on your failure that you fail to make a future. Because you can do this. You can do this. You can let guilt be your guide. You can, you can let it hold on to you. Um, I've said for years that your past is an anchor or a sail. It will either hold you back or it will propel you forward. It all depends on what you do with it. I know some people that use their past as an excuse not to make progress. They'll go, well, this, is, this will happen, this happened, this happened, this happened. And I'm like, okay, it did happen, but you need to get over it and you need to get on and make a life. And there's some, some of you that listen to the devil, that the devil is the one that reminds you of your failures. Yeah, and that's not God. God doesn't do that because God doesn't remember it. He, he forgave you, right? When you asked him to, if you asked him, he's forgiven you and, and he wants you to move on. So this leads us to a short story in 1 Kings 17, uh, where we're going to be introduced to a man named Elijah, whom God is going to use to deliver a message. I, I call him the evil King Ahab. And Ahab doesn't want to hear this message, but God has a man to deliver this message. And so let's read it. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite, and we don't know anything about Elijah. This is the first time he's mentioned in the Bible. We don't know his upbringing. We don't know really anything about him. And, and God tells Elijah, I need you to go give Ahab this message. Okay, go, go to Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years 
except at my word. Now, if you don't know what that's going to cause, okay, it's going to cause a famine. It's going to cause hunger. It's going to cause a really bad situation when you don't have dew or rain for two years. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens, in, uh, uh, ravens there to feed you. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the book. Now, why this message? Why, why did God tell him, go, go tell Ahab that there's not going to be any water for the next couple of years? Well, if you back up just a little bit, here, here's how Ahab is described in 1 Kings chapter 16. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. But he, he was the evil king. And not only was he evil king, he married an evil woman named Jezebel. And we won't even go there. Like if you've been in the, the, the weird acostal movement, I'm a Pentecostal, but there's a weird acostal. You ever been to a weird acostal church? Like Pentecostal itself is kind of weird enough, but there's weird acostal where really strange things happen. And, and you hear a lot of them, but she just has a Jezebel spirit. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. If you knew what Jezebel did to people, she is not out killing people and being as evil as it. So the, the Jezebel spirit might be a thing. And if anybody's ever said, you had the Jezebel spirit, I'm sorry. That's all I could say. Uh, on behalf of all Pentecostals, I'm sorry. Like, because that's a bad thing to say somebody has a Jezebel spirit because Jezebel was a wicked, 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 wicked woman. So you have evil marrying wicked and they lived happily ever after, right? They, they killed everybody in the kingdom. It would be a terrible Disney show, but... It's kind of like that. You have the wicked people anyway. Let's move on, all right? If you're going to have your name in the Bible, you don't want it to say <laughs> he was the most wicked of all kings. It says, as a matter of fact, some of the, the sins that, that other people committed, he just considered them trivial. It's like, oh, you just kill people? Why well, skim in the life first and then I do? So he was a very wicked man. And that's why God said, I am punishing this nation because of this evil leadership. And I'm going to make it not rain for two years. So lives, people are going to get very, very desperate when they have no food and they have no water. And so here's what God said to do. All right. Here's your purpose, Elijah. In this season, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go deliver this message. It's a message of judgment to an evil king who is not going to like what he hears. And here's what I want you to do. It's a deliver and run. It's a deliver and run. Recap, three things he said to do. Deliver the message. And I will tell you, as a pastor, the message is not always liked. The message that I feel God puts on my heart, I'm like, oh, this is really going to get somebody mad. Not in our church. Only people that turn in online... All right, I'm going to tell you the truth, nothing but the truth. Message isn't always liked. And then God says, run and hide. Isn't that cool? God says, deliver the message, and he's going to get real mad, and he's going to try to kill you, so you got to go hide in this place. God actually gave him permission and a command to go hide. And then the third thing was this, accommodations are taken care of. Okay, deliver the message, run and hide, and the accommodations are taken care of. And he says that, that I'm going to have ravens feed you. Now, God's provision is always God's provision. It's not always going to make sense. And it may not even come from a source that you think is clean. A raven was not considered a clean animal. I would be like, I want a, a, a golden eagle or a bald eagle to catch something after it has sanitized its claws and deliver me a fresh piece of meat, all right? But here he's like, ravens are scavengers. The ravens are going to bring food to you. 
And I will tell you what God is not like. God is never like, we'll figure it out when you get there. I don't have a plan yet, but I want you to go. I want you to go. What do you say? Do, deliver the message, run and hide. This brings me to a story that I forgot to tell first service. So look at your neighbor and say, you're special because you get to hear this story. Now, somewhere in between the bad haircut and, and Bible college graduation, my friends and I were in a, a little field where I lived. Like I lived in a little house and we had a field and we had some trees in the field and then we had the church. So we actually walked to church every day. And in this field, there was probably, I don't know, seven or eight big fir trees. My mom also was a great gardener and she had some leftover tomatoes that, that my best friends and I decided to do something with. And that was hide behind the tree and when the car drives by the road, bomb the car. We're gonna deliver a message, all right? Um, so we delivered the message. We bombed this car with tomatoes and then we're like open pasture, only a few trees, but hide behind the trees. The bad part is, is we lived in a little town of 500 people. The car that we bombed was a man who worked for my dad. Yeah, fortunately, he was very intoxicated. And um, when we bombed his car, we hid behind him. He got it and he stopped. You don't plan on them stopping. And then when he stopped, we're like, what do we do? We're hiding behind trees. And then there's open field. And not only that, it's next to the boss's house. So it, wasn't, it was very obvious as to who did it. All right. This was not from God. Okay. Deliver the message, run and hide. And he got out and started yelling. And I, unfortunately, I said, I don't know that my dad ever heard about it from him because I think he might have forgot about it. But I will tell you, we were very successful in our bombing run because it was about 100% hit. There was tomatoes all over the car. I'm not condoning this and saying it's right. I'm just telling, can I just be honest with that? You guys getting mad at me? Like, if you're online, it got really quiet in here because they thought their pastor was perfect. Yeah, if you've been here more than one Sunday, you know that that's not the truth, right? So deliver the message, throw the tomatoes, then run and hide, then what? No, it was a bad thing to do. But God said, the ravens will take care of you. Your responsibility is to be obedient. Your responsibility may be just to deliver the message and let God take care of the details. Now, you can deliver a message without being a jerk about it, all right? Now, I tell you, as a, as a pastor, I am very adamant as I preach the whole word of God. I don't tiptoe around hard things, but I want to deliver it in a way. You can deliver it and, and not be a jerk about it, yeah. all right? You ever have somebody deliver you food and they're, they're not nice to you when they deliver it? They can deliver your pizza and be a jerk about it. Or they can deliver your pizza and have a smile, right? The pizza still gets delivered, right? But how it's delivered really matters in how it's received. And so our, our heart here is to be honest, but to, to love you through it. Now, go hide in this ravine. Kareth means to whittle or to carve. So it's interesting that God says, go, go hide in the Kareth ravine, which means to whittle or to carve. And this is significant to our spiritual lives because God is always whittling or carving us spiritually. He's always removing, he's always sanding, he's always doing a few little things. And most of the time, he uses other people to do that. Namely, your spouse, if you're married. Yeah. Like, and, and as a spouse, if you were sandpaper, what grit would you be? Don't answer that out loud. You'd be like, well, I'm like 800 because I'm soft. My spouse, though, they're like 80. Right? Don't answer that out loud, it'll get you in trouble. And I had a long week this last week, and I don't need any marriage counseling sessions this week. Come to life group. But if you were sandpaper, what would you be? I think only other people can answer that. Right. I think only other people answer that. But what would you be? We would make a whole sermon out of that. If something happens though, he's there, he gets steak sandwiches in the morning, 
He gets steak sandwiches in the evening. I, I think it probably became a game, and I don't know if it was a couple years. It doesn't say how long he was there. But can you imagine? This is a real man, right, that's by this brook. He's probably built a shelter. He's probably, life is good. And he has room service twice a day. This sounds nice, yeah. right? It's nice. He's like, hey, what are the birds going to bring me today? Oh, rabbit. Nice. Squirrel. Did he talk to the ravens? I don't know. I, I, I'm sure he, he, he probably got ribs. You don't know what he's getting. He probably got meatloaf. He probably wondered about the meatloaf. Like, when did this get hit by a chariot? How long has it been there? Because it's a raven, right? So this is, this is real stuff. That's what I said. I like to talk about the emotions of he's a real human. And then there's the mystery meat. Like, don't even ask. Just eat it. But here's what I know. That if God's going to have a raven deliver you food, it's not going to be bad. So he had life, I think, was pretty good here, pretty easy. I don't know if he was bored. I don't know if he enjoyed just time by himself. But something happens in verse 7, and that says, sometime later, the brook dried up. Not because God created it to dry up, not because God caused it, to, not because God said, hey, I need you to move, and you're not moving, so I'm going to make the brook dry up because I told you to go five times, and you didn't. We know that Elijah was obedient the first time God said to go. The brook dried up. It said, because... There was no rain in the land. You don't have to read into this. You don't have to over-spiritualize this first. Why did it dry up? Tell me. Because there was no rain. It was a natural occurrence. It was a natural occurrence. Could God have created water here to keep the brook flowing? Absolutely, because he had done it several times. But he didn't. Something natural happened that's going to cause something spiritual. And in our lives, I think there are times that the brook simply dries up and we're like, oh, Lord, what happened? What did I do? And, we're, and God's like, you're way overthinking this. My wife says that to me sometimes. The Lord speaks through my wife. And sometimes that's what it says. You're way overthinking. Who, who tends to overthink stuff sometimes? All right. I think we all do at times. Who tends to not think at all? <laughs> Nobody's hand raised up. They're like, uh, trick question, yes. Okay. The brook simply dries up. It just dries up naturally because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, all right? So the, the brook dries up, and then he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there, okay? Zarephath, you know what that means? We got, he's, he's living in the land of Whittle. Now he wants him to go to the land of Crucible. If you don't know what a crucible is, you should Google it. A crucible is like a big metal pod that melts metal and all the bad stuff goes to the top. It's called dross. And then they scoop the yucky stuff so that it's a purification process. So you go from whittling to crucible. Now, I don't know if Elijah was aware of what that was, but he's like, what, wait, what? Wait, you're gonna, you're gonna take me from whittle to crucible? God's like, yeah. Aren't you glad you don't know what's next sometimes? Like you would be like, there's no way I would choose that. But a crucible is necessary to go through the fires of life to become something pure. And so Elijah goes to this place called Zarephath of Sinai. He says, stay there. And he says, I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And Elijah's like, cool, that's probably better than a raven. All right, I don't know what kind of food, but hopefully she's a good cook. So he goes to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, and he called her, oh, and bring me please a piece of bread. 
I want you to think about the timing of this. He gets to this gate on this particular day at this particular time, and there's this little widow who also said, you know what, I'm going to build a fire, so I need to go get some sticks, and there's some sticks by the gate, so I'm going to go there. God's timing is perfect, guys. God's timing is perfect. And he says, hey, please bring me some bread. And he knows what the answer is going to be, I think. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Like here is a woman who is hopeless. She has no hope for the future. She's like, I'm going to make this last little cake of bread. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. You ever have one of your teenagers say, I'm starving to death? (laughs) <laughs> Don't you love that? You're like, no, you're not, right? None of us are starving to death. But the, she has this hopelessness of, yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't have any bread, but I'm going to die. Right? I'm just going to make this little, and, and this is what Elijah says to her. I love it. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, okay, and this sounds like a demand, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Now, what she just tell, she just said, I only have enough for me and my son. And you would think Elijah's kind of being greedy here. Like, no, no, serve me first. But Elijah knows what she doesn't. Elijah knows of God's provision. Elijah knows what's about to happen. Why? Because God had already said, I have commanded a widow in this place to supply you with food. The problem is the widow didn't get the notice. The widow had no idea that Elijah was gonna be there. God did not say that, hey, widow, Okay, there's going to be this guy named Elijah. He's going to be by the gate. He's going to look a little crazy because he's been out in the, the cure of the ravine for a lot of years. He hasn't had a haircut. He looks pretty nuts, but don't be scared of him. He probably stinks too because there's no water because the brook dried up, so he couldn't take a bath. <laughs> and he's going to want some water from you, and then he's going to want some food. So give him food, and when you give him food, I'm going to provide you with more food. And the widow's like, okay, cool, I'll do that. No, the widow had no idea. God gave a command to a woman who didn't even know she was going to meet the need of a guy who needed help. And you can be this widow sometimes, that you're just living life. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And God says, you know, I'm going to use you to meet the needs of other people. So she goes home and and she makes the the little bread. And and sure enough, what God said is going to happen. He said this, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Elijah says this to the woman when she's like, I don't have anything. I just got a little bit. He says this, a jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until, day, until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. And you know what? It says that she went away and did as Elijah told her. And guess what? You read the rest of the story. God provided. God provided. God provided. God, God knew that there was a widow and her son and the son actually would die later on and Elijah would raise him from the dead. It's a cool story. But God provided for this widow because Elijah had what she needed. Elijah didn't know what, he, what, what lay ahead too much. The widow didn't know, but obedience brought together God's provision, okay? There was a widow and her son that needed him. There was a next assignment, a next assignment. And all of us have next assignments. And that's, again, what Pastor Chase and Hannah are doing. They're answering the call to the next assignment, they're leaving a place of comfort because I provide them Subway in the morning and Subway at night. <laughs> now they're going to have to find their own food. Um, Jersey Mike's would be better, huh, man? Because I'm thinking Philly cheesesteak, right? Um, if he had cheese, that's what he could have had. They needed what Elijah had to offer. Amen. And God can use the same for you. You have what people need. They may not know it yet. 
the gifts and abilities, okay, that you have that God has given you. That's what Pastor Jason is going to talk about. The call of God on your life involves you, but it is not about you. It involves you, but it's not about you. God cares more about your purpose than your comfort, right? It's not a comfortable thing to have transition. It's not a comfortable thing for something new. Pastor Chase has been here for 12 years, and, uh, you know, many of you, if you know the story, he was in diapers at the church that Chris and I first youth pastors. So I've known him since diapers. Hannah, I've known you since after diapers. Um, all right, she's been here longer than I have at the church, actually. And uh, so proud of them, all right, for answering the call of God, because we've been talking about it for a couple months, and it's like, well, he like, like, I like it here, but Pastor John needs help, right? Pastor John mentored him, like, through uh, when they first came here. And so everybody needs to know, all right, whether you're online or, or, or here in person, is that there, nothing wrong has happened because there's always the question, if you grew up in church, like, well, what did he do? He did right. Yeah. He did right. He did right. He's answered the call of God. He's, he, I've never, and I thanked him the other day. I said, thank you that I've never had to do damage control over something you said or did. Amen. I'm so thankful that he has lived a life of integrity, a life of honesty, and a life of character. So it's a bittersweet thing uh, for, for this day to happen, okay? Because I've been through it three times at the churches we were at, but every church I was at, as a youth pastor, kids pastor, janitor, whatever needed to be done, I learned something, and I grew, and I matured. And I learned that if you cut your hair like this, you'll look funny for a while. <laughs> I also learned that hair grows back. And I also learned that you start losing hair when you hit a certain age. So shampoo with, uh, with eye shampoo with glue, actually, just to keep it. Um, but uh, Pastor Chase, he's going to come up and he's going to finish this out. And uh, again, once, once he's done, we'll have our leadership come up and pray with him. But uh, Pastor Chase, thank you for being the man that you are. And, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for you oh, here okay. just out of, because, whoa, whoa. I'm going to break the pulpit. Here you go. He was almost, uh, first service, I looked, I watched, I saw him almost, almost squinting I, at how I low that was. I know not to touch that. That's you your stand. Touch the Lord's I've anointed stand. Oh, man. Hey, I just want to say thank you so much, Pastor Stan, uh, for this opportunity. You know that, uh, like, it's, it's a God thing, it's a healthy thing when, uh, your pastor says, hey, you want to preach? And you write your sermon, and he never asks what you're going to say. So I didn't have to send him the notes so that he could fix them or anything like that. Um, but uh, we have loved being here at Change Life Church for the last 12 years. Uh, it, it's just crazy to think that um, I had a lot more hair back then, too, and I got a lot less now. But uh, this morning, we're talking about purpose and position and, and, and how God wants to use us in our lives. And I have teenagers talk to me about, you know, I don't know what God wants me to do in life, and, and they'll say, I, you know, I prayed about it, and, and I tried reading my Bible, and I just didn't feel like God spoke to me, but I believe that actually Jesus gave us a really clear understanding of what we're supposed to do. If you've given your life to Jesus, he actually told us what our purpose is in life, and it's found in uh, Matthew chapter 28. This is at the end uh, of the Gospels. This is after Jesus has died on the cross and raised, rose from the grave, uh, and he's spending time talking to his disciples, and this is one of the last things he has to say to them. And if it's one of the last things you have to say, it's probably one of the most important things. And so it's Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, that's a good thing that Jesus is with us all the way to the end. 
But it's pretty clear here. Jesus says, this is your purpose. This is your message. First and foremost, go and make disciples. Tell people about me, right? That's the first thing. Second is teach them about what I've taught you. And I believe that this call right here, this message that Jesus gives these disciples was not meant only for the disciples. We know this because if Jesus had told the disciples, said, hey, I've given you this mission, uh, and once you're done with it, it's gonna be done, you'll check the box, you get to come hang out with me in heaven, and, and, and everything will be fine. If that had happened, if it had only been for the disciples, the church would have died 2,000 years ago. But the thing is, I believe that the Great Commission and this message, the purpose that Jesus has given us here on earth is meant for each and every single person in this room. Because if you think about it, the church has continued on for 2,000 years after this event took place. And if you're here today and, and you've heard the message of Jesus Christ, you were here today because someone 2,000 years ago said, you know what, Jesus told me I need to tell someone else about Jesus. And then that person said, hey, I need to tell someone about Jesus. And that person told someone about Jesus. And that has taken place for the last 2,000 years. You are the result of someone stepping up and saying, you know what, I'm gonna fulfill this call in my life. This is the purpose that God has given me. And I hope someday in the future, you know, we don't know how much longer we're gonna be here on earth. It could be today that, that Jesus decides to come back. But whether it's today or another 2,000 years in the future, I think we need to say, I'm gonna live my life in a way that I will get to be a part of someone's chain where they'll look back and say, you know what, I'm so glad that that person in CUNA, Idaho decided to share the message of Jesus and that that person shared the message of Jesus and it's gonna lead to someone someday getting to hear about who Jesus is and having their lives changed forever. And so with that in mind, we need to understand that this call that Jesus has for us is meant for everyone. And a really cool part about that is that everyone's role in this call is unique. We see in our story today that Elijah had a unique role to play that no one else got to play, right? His purpose was to go and share the message, and then he went to the creek, and then he eventually went to the woman, and as Stan said, you read the rest of the story, her son actually dies, and he prays for the son, and he comes back to life. If Elijah had not fulfilled his purpose and his specific role, that would not have happened. And so I think something that's really cool to think about is I read a few weeks ago that scientists say that there are now over eight billion people on the earth today, which is crazy. That is a gigantic number. But something that is so cool about eight billion people is you are one of one. There is not another you in this world. You are the only you that is here. You're unique. There is no one else that is like you today and there never has been nor never will be. You are the only you that God will ever get to use to accomplish your specific purpose and the specific plan that God has for your life. And so with that in mind, when it comes to sharing this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's really important that we understand that uh, you have influence in people's lives that no one else does. You know, it's my job uh, to tell people about Jesus, and I am so glad that I have that opportunity. I love getting to tell people about Jesus. But there are people that I will never have the opportunity to tell about Jesus. If there's eight billion people in the world, there's about eight billion people that I'm not gonna have an opportunity to tell about Jesus, right? But there are people in your life that I will never get to tell about Jesus that you have the opportunity to do. And there are people in my life that I can talk to about Jesus that you will not have that opportunity. And it goes the same way for each and every single person in this room. We each have a unique call upon our lives. We each have a unique position that God has given us and an opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ with different people. 
I believe that we each have a plan and a role to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. And that that purpose is important that we understand that. And so with that in mind, if you understand, okay, I understand that uh, everybody's called and that my calling is unique. But I don't know if I really want to stand up to that or I feel like there's some other people that can do a better job. I think those are excuses we give sometimes. I think it's important that we understand this morning that your leaders here at this church cannot do everything. As great as Pastor Stan is and as great as the staff is here, I mean, I love the staff here. Uh, as we said, we feel like we're being called, uh, not because we hate anybody here or anything like that. In fact, it would be easier if we like hated everybody here and we were like, we're out of here, right? But we love everybody here. I love the staff here. As great as they are, they cannot fulfill the Great Commission here in Cuna, Idaho. What it takes is an entire group of people saying, you know what, we've given our lives to Jesus and we want other people to know. And in fact, if we go back to the book of Acts and we look at the disciples, we see that the disciples tried to do that. They tried to go about doing things their own way and, and relying on their own power and strength. When you read uh, the gospel story and you, and, and you see Jesus says, I've given you this power, go and tell people about Jesus. We see in Acts chapter two, Peter gets up and I love that the very first sermon ever started with, we're not drunk, it's too early in the morning. Because what that means is I can say a lot of dumb stuff and it's not gonna be as dumb as what Peter had to say. But he gets up, he shares the message of Jesus and it says that thousands of people got saved that day. And then they continue to share the message and more and more and more, every single day, people were getting saved. But here's, there's this problem that takes place as a result. The church is growing, and, and the problem is, is that uh, people's needs are not being met. If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained of the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there's a problem that takes place. There's really simply, there's two groups of people within the church. They have a food program, and one group of people is being favored over the other. There's this injustice going on within the church. And so the disciples, they gather together, and, and picking up again, it says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn the responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. So the disciples, these guys that were given uh, this call to share the message of Jesus, recognize, you know what, our gift, the thing that Jesus, the purpose that Jesus has given me is to share and preach the word of God. But we also recognize that part of the purpose of the church and fulfilling the great commission as a whole is taking care of the widows and those in need. And in order for that to be taken care of correctly, we need to empower some other people that have better gifts and skills for that area of ministry. Man, if Peter, if he's as eloquent as saying, you know, I'm not drunk, he's probably not real great at organizing the food program, right? Like, his specific gift was that gift that God had given him. And so they recognize that there are some other people that have given, been given this gift. So they empower, they get these seven guys together, they pray for them. One of them is Stephen, if you read about him, he's the first martyr in the church, an amazing man of God. Uh, and they pray for them and they empower them. So we see that it's this small group of people who tried to take care of everything and it didn't work out. It required everyone stepping up and fulfilling the purpose that God had given them. It took a group of gifted individuals saying, you know what, I will step up and answer the call of God in my life. And Acts chapter six, verse seven, gives us the results of that. It says, so the word of God spread 
the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and the large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, the message didn't just kind of continue to spread. It says when they empowered these other people, when these people within the church stepped up and said, you know what, I recognize I have a purpose. I have a role to play. It says that the number increased rapidly, and not only that, it says that priests began giving their lives to Jesus. I believe that if the disciples had said, you know what, uh, we're just gonna keep trying to do it ourselves, or if these seven men had said, you know what, I think the disciples got it, I'm comfortable here in church. If they hadn't stepped up, I don't think we would read verse seven. I think verse seven would say something a lot different. But because the people in the crowd said, hey, I recognize that there's a need in the church, and I recognize I play a unique role in the church, I will step up. It says that many people got saved and priests also got saved as a result. Because I believe this, that being a Christian, being a Christ follower is not a spectator sport. There are a lot of, how many sports fans we got out here? When you guys talk about your team, and I just did it right now, do you talk about the team that you root for as my team? Or, or you, you put yourself in the sentence as if you're a part of the team? Like, hey, Boise State won this week. We looked really good. And it's like, I didn't play, but I think I'm part of the team. And I can yell at the TV really loud, but it has no bearing on the outcome of the game at all. Even when I go to Bronco Stadium and I yell and I can't talk the next day, I really didn't play a big part in the Broncos having a victory. And so the thing is, though, with Christianity... It's not a spectator sport where there are people that simply get to look at the people doing the job and say, oh, good job, we're proud of you. No, everybody needs to be involved because once you give your life to Jesus, you are now a part of the team. You're now on the field. You are no longer in the stands. And I think there's a problem, uh, and this isn't in my notes, so this is bonus. Um, I think the problem comes is when people are now on the field and they're acting like spectators, right? If you're watching the World Cup, uh, any soccer fans, yeah, right? World Cup going on right now. Can you imagine if someone passed the ball to someone and they're out there in their lawn chair and they're just like, hey, this is a pretty good view. No, we are called to be a part of the action. You don't get to be a spectator anymore when you give your life to Jesus. You are now a part of the Great Commission. So getting back to my notes. Sorry about that. I believe this, that if you've given your life to Jesus and you are in this room today, you are a part of fulfilling the Great Commission in Cuna, Idaho. And I think it's important that we look for the specific role that God is doing in your life to be a part of here at this church. I believe this, that God isn't looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. God is in the business of using people that are not qualified to do amazing jobs. And if I was Jesus, I would not have picked the 12 that he picked because those guys were way underqualified. It actually says uh, that those verses we read in Matthew, just before it, it says that Jesus appeared to them. This is after he's risen from the grave, after he's appeared to them uh, on multiple occasions. It says that even then, some of them still doubted. And these guys were not qualified for the job. But there was something that happened within them where they said, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing, but God, I will follow you faithfully, and I will step up and answer the call. And so when, when a, a group of people says, hey, I'm going to step up and answer the call, I believe that God works amazing things out. Right. And there can be amazing things that take place here in this church. And so I believe this morning that God has positioned everyone here for a specific purpose in a plant. And that's, that purpose that you play in the church is going to be different from everybody else. For some people, the purpose that you have is that you've been called to preach. 
and share the word of God. And I'll say that if you feel like you're that person, you need to make sure you talk to Pastor Stan. You can't just come up and grab the microphone and get going. That, that list is probably pretty short. For other people, you would rather get hit by a truck than be given the microphone and preach. And that is okay. Just because you're not preaching doesn't mean you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. For some of you, you would say, I literally, I would rather die than get up and share a sermon. But I would love to open the door for people as they come in the door. Or I would love to help set up for events. I don't want anyone to know that I was here. I don't, I don't want attention at all. But I would love to help align chairs or, or run a vacuum. I think that every single person in here has been given gifts and abilities to be used for a purpose so that people could hear the message of Jesus Christ. And as a, as a youth pastor, someone that cares about youth and, and kids, uh, if you're here this morning and, and you hate teenagers and you hate kids, don't go volunteer for kids ministry, please. Like, we don't want you. But if you're here and you're like, you know what, I have a heart for teenagers, I have a heart for kids, or I have a heart for the nursery, and you may be saying, you know, I really care about those people, but I don't know enough about the Bible, or I don't think I could teach them anything. I want you to understand that's not what's important. You simply saying, hey, I love this group of people and I wanna serve them, that is enough because God will use you for that purpose and that will. And so my challenge for us this morning is, is Hannah and I, are, uh, we're answering the call that we feel like God is calling us to go to do is I wanna challenge you to answer that call as well. For some of you, maybe God will call you into full-time ministry and that would be a great thing. For many of us, that's not what you're called to and that's fine. But I do think that every single person in this room does have a calling where we are called to share the message of Jesus Christ in our unique role that God has given us. And if, uh, this isn't in my notes as well, but I, I thought of it this morning, is we look at um, the results of the church. When the disciples were trying to do everything on their own, there was discord and disunity, and the church actually became a place where a certain group of people felt comfortable, and another group of people was alienated. Uh, and I believe that if we rely as a church just on a certain group of people to run everything, it's gonna naturally cater to one specific group yeah. and it's gonna leave out an entire another group of people that won't get to hear the message of Jesus. And I think that the church is meant to share the message of Jesus with everybody. And so I think in order for that to happen, there needs to be people in this crowd that would say, you know what, I'm gonna answer the call of God. I'm gonna go talk to our leaders and say, hey, I feel like I can volunteer in this area. I feel like I can be a part of what the church is doing here. It may be a really unique thing. And you know what, the church needs unique people answering unique calls. So this is how I want to wrap things up this morning. Uh, I believe that this church has an incredibly bright future and that every single person in here plays a part in that. Um, and really my heart is, is that lost people would come to know who Jesus is. And so if you're here this morning and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, I would tell you this, that uh, asking Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life is the greatest decision that you could ever possibly make. Amen. It's, it's better than your sports team winning the World Series. I wouldn't know anything about that because I'm a Mariners fan. But I have a feeling it's probably better than that. And so this is what I want to ask is that everybody bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment so we can just get focused here. And I just want to speak to you is if you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus into your life, I want to challenge you to make that decision today. Many people think that when it comes to following Jesus, you've got to get things figured out. You've got to get cleaned up first. Or many people think that uh, it's just about checking these boxes and doing the right things. So oh, if I just go to church this many times, I'll tell you this, that you can never check enough boxes and you can never get clean enough on your own 
to receive the grace of God, that, that you never deserve it. But instead, Jesus came and died in our place. He checked all the boxes, and he freely offers that grace. And so when we surrender to him and we say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, would you forgive me and turn me into a new creation? That Jesus does that right in that moment, and our life is now in a new direction. And so I want to ask everybody, every eye closed, between you, me, and God, if, if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I need to ask Jesus into my life. I'd ask that you'd forgive me. Would you slip your hand up real quick? I don't, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you the things you're dealing with. Uh, but I just want to offer an opportunity for you to receive that. Awesome. Thank you. This is what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to ask that everybody in this room would repeat after me. We're going to say a simple prayer. These aren't magic words. We're just expressing what's going on in our hearts in agreement with those in here saying, you know what, I need Jesus in my life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. I admit I'm not a perfect person. But I believe what your word says, that you lived a perfect life, that you died in my place, and you rose again. You did this so I could be forgiven. I ask you forgive me and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a round of applause for those that made that decision today? Awesome. I'm going to turn it over uh, to Pastor Stan. Hey, before you get the mic, I, I, there was a story that I wanted to tell of that oh. guy who came, or young teenager. Uh, the difference that he has made, because he used to run the zone as well, so these little kids that grew up here um, know who Pastor Chase is, but there was a, a young man who came in about three weeks ago, four, four weeks ago. I don't know, when you get 50, it could be a month ago, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but he wanted to know where Pastor Chase was at, and I was like, hey, he's upstairs, so. Yeah, um, <laughs> we had this... Uh, with the zone, we had um, a lot of really awesome kids uh, that used to come to the zone. Uh, I got to spend a lot of time with specific kids, specifically the ones that got in trouble a lot. Yeah. I got to spend the most time with. But um, I was up in my office, uh, it was a few weeks ago, and um, I hear this person coming down the hall, and, and he comes in, and uh, he walked in, and I recognized him as his own kid. Uh, he's like an adult now. He's like, hey, it's you know, do you remember me? I was like, yeah, I remember you. I was, you know, how you been? What you been up to? He goes, oh, I just got out of jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. He goes, and I was walking by and I remembered coming here and I wanted to see if you were here and just say hi. Yeah. So uh, yeah. he had just got like the day before. Literally, yeah. like, he, just, <laughs> he was walking and, through uh, town. And that spoke to me because Pastor Chase meant something to him. Right. Like the investment he had had in him as a young man. Uh, he was one of the first ones that he wanted to come and talk to. He just kind of ignored me. He's where Pastor Chase was. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but that was a story that I thought you should know, just the, the influence that you have, and you don't even realize it sometimes in ministry until later on, but, um, but it's great. But hey, I want you to come on up here. I want our staff to come up, board members, if you can. Uh, we just want to pray over them. And again, Wednesday night uh, is actually their last official time. And so, uh, you know, I would ask you, if you have a card or just a, a way of saying thank you to them, uh, show up here Wednesday night. I think there's going to be cupcakes. Um, not that we need food, but we need food. It's a celebration. Uh, but I just want to say thank you so much for being who you guys are. And like I said, I couldn't be more proud of you, you know, to know, again, that you started out in the nursery of a church when I was a youth pastor. My you've aged. Um, and Hannah, just a beautiful little girl that she was, and her mom was our kids' pastor, and so she grew up serving. And so it's an honor for me. And again, they're going to help Pastor John. Pastor John still has a key to this building, uh, and, and I make him keep it because there's sometimes he fixes things that I don't know how to fix. And, um, and the kind of man Pastor John is, is he saw some problems that I think the power went off and it did something. So he just stopped in 
one night and fixed the problem. And he says, oh, yeah, I, you know, so, so I, I told him, I, you have to keep the key, too, because you will be at my beck and call. I'll be like, bro, I hired you for 12 years. I'm going to get another year of maintenance or whatever it is out of you. But, um, but you all need to know that that's the kind of relationship we have. It's a friendship, and it's, it's a bittersweet thing. It's sad, uh, but I'm excited for this next um, purpose in life. And he's going to take more of an associate role and help Pastor John out. And again, that, their church has doubled since Pastor John has got there, um, and they just need help. So... It's, uh, it's exciting. So. No All right. Um, the hardest thing you guys are going to do is you have, you have to leave James. Um, <laughs> is, is, <laughs> I'm going to miss that little guy. Um, I'm going to miss him shredding checks and the other things that, that he did. But, but let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Pastor Chase and Hannah. I thank you. Um, just first of all, that they're my friends, Lord, that I've watched them growing up since little, little kids and, and serve you and answer that call. I thank you so much for the character and the integrity that they've shown. Uh, Father, I just give you praise and thanks for the fact this next uh, season in life is going to be fruitful. Lord, uh, Pastor John Chandra did a great job there, and they need help, and, uh, and they are the people for that job and that position. And so we pray for their church, Engage Boise, that you would bless them, uh, bless their youth group, Lord, as they kind of restart something that you provide those teenagers. And uh, just like that widow, there are teenagers there that have no idea what's about to happen. Uh, they're about to get a couple that will love them and be there for them and help them grow in their faith. And so we just love you and give you thanks and praise for that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, love you. I'm going to miss you guys. Yeah.